Christ not only brings us near, but he gives us peace. And he gives us peace with God, the ultimate peace. And he established the framework for horizontal peace. Now the emphasis, I suppose, of at least verse 14 and 15 is on this Jewish-Gentile enmity. And it's on the horizontal, but it's tied very clearly with the vertical. Christ himself came and he preached peace. He established peace and he himself is our peace, it says. Christ made peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. That vertical peace with God enables us to enjoy peace personally. In the midst of chaos. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, God's Roadmap to Peace. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. You can take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It was really just just a matter of days ago that there was an awful lot of optimism about the roadmap to peace. And uh, within hours of it kind of getting underway, I guess, however you'd say that, tentative agreements and that sort of thing, within hours, uh, the roadmap to peace was destroyed by uh, suicide bombings and the like. And, you know, time after time, president after president has sought to bring peace and uh, help in some way to bring peace to that region And uh, the enmity between Jew and Gentile, the hatred, the violence that continues to erupt. And it isn't, of course, just in Israel, although Tom and I even were talking on the 4th about how frustrating it is to see these things. And you see it erupting around the world. And he was saying that the Muslims in Nigeria even bring the Israel issue up. It's the Israel issue. And it seems as if the huge Muslim population around the world does obsess on that. But it isn't just there, although it's hard to miss that. And, and, you know, I think if you got your Bible open, it seems that we ought not to miss the fact that there is a satanic, a special satanic hatred of Israel. And anti-Semitism has plagued the world And as I read the book of Revelation, I realize that we haven't seen the worst of it even in Hitler, Stalin, and the awful atrocities that happened in the last century. But, you know, that isn't the only roadblock to peace. When you think of that region, uh, the headlines even that we prayed about last week erupted even larger And more of us are aware, perhaps, than last week of the problems in Morovia. And uh, you look around the world, Indonesia, Sudan, what should I say? How many have been slaughtered? And this week, I just happened to notice it, and I couldn't find it again in the chaos of the paper. On a back page, 47 killed in a suicide bombing in a mosque in Pakistan with some sect of the you know, Islamic killing others. And you just think everywhere you look, the list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, the Congo. I mean, 
I can't begin to make the list when I think of where there is lack of peace. And you don't have to look too far. We just got an email yesterday from my cousin who had been on a short-term mission over in Bosnia, and he was talking about the effects of the war still there and the uneasy peace of sorts that is there. But you know, the Bible teaches that when Adam sinned, when sin entered the world, much more than sin entered, enmity, hatred, bitterness, and of course the full fruition of it, when sin entered the world, death entered the world. And you've got this enmity, brother to brother. I mean, right after Adam sinned, the next page of the Bible, in that first generation, Cain killed Abel. And the Bible moves on, and you find that the Scripture describes this earth as just filled with violence, so much so that God brought the flood. And then man, after the flood, the first thing that's really recorded for us, and God, of course, isn't giving a thorough history. He's giving what he wants us to see, what he wants us to grasp. He's giving the big sweep, and he's giving his perspective on things, and that's the only true perspective. And after the flood, right away, we see man trying to build some sort of unity apart from God. And the fiasco of the Tower of Babel and God stepping in and making sure that that was confused. But man's attempts at peace without God will all fail. Because man's enmity isn't just horizontal. He's got a lot deeper problem than the horizontal. As soon as Adam sinned, the whole race has been at enmity vertically with God. And I know that that's kind of a a negative, perhaps almost kind of rain on the parade kind of an assessment, but that's the only real one that adds up as you look at history and as you look at the Bible. But the good news is that God has a solution. And I want to reread our text and read into our new text so that we tie it together. Verse 11 of Ephesians 2, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we've not only been brought near by the blood of Christ, we who were formerly far off, we've been given hope and we have, read on with me and think of what Christ accomplished. He himself, verse 14, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God 
through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Christ not only brings us near, but he gives us peace. And he gives us peace with God, the ultimate peace. And he established the framework for horizontal peace. Now, the emphasis, I suppose, of at least verse 14 and 15 is on this Jewish-Gentile enmity. And it's on the horizontal. But it's tied very clearly with the vertical. Christ himself came and he preached peace. He established peace and he himself is our peace, it says. And we want to take a look at it because, you know, the vertical peace that he gives, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ made peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. And I was quoting Romans 5.1. That vertical peace with God enables us to enjoy peace personally. In the midst of chaos, Christians give testimony all around the world of finding peace in the midst of violence, peace in the midst of chaos, peace in the midst of injustice, peace in the midst of all the persecution. Because peace with God is the ultimate peace. And when you have peace with God, you can enjoy the peace of God. In fact, he says... Cast your anxieties on me. I care for you. Don't be anxious for anything, but with everything in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that vertical peace gives personal peace, and the horizontal peace that Christ established when he came gives hope for someday a national, even international, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now our text, I want to look at verses 14 through 18. We're going to see three fundamental concepts, three things that were secured by Christ at the cross, peace, reconciliation, and access. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. You see, Jews and Gentiles before Christ were separated. God had set apart Israel to be a witness to the nations. Now, he hadn't set them apart to create an enmity. He'd set them apart to be a witness to the nations, to be a source of blessing to the nations. But the ceremonial law that he gave Israel did set them apart. And so the law was like a middle wall of partition. In fact, in the temple, they had a wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the temple proper. And you remember when Paul finally came back from his missionary journeys to Jerusalem, they accused him of bringing a Greek inside that enclosure. Remember in Acts 21, and a riot broke out. I mean, they were serious about this, and they said, he not only is trying to upset our law all around the empire, but he brought a Greek into the temple. Now, he hadn't, 
But it was enough to set a riot off just to accuse him of it. And the Romans had to rescue Paul, you remember? And then he got a chance to defend himself. And when he spoke in Hebrew, they quieted down. And it's an interesting couple chapters to read in Acts. But it pictures this enmity that we're dealing with in that day and still today. Because they quieted down when he spoke in Hebrew and the Romans had him secure. And so they let him speak. And he said, I'm a Jew. And he told about his Jewish heritage. And he told, and they listened to him until he said, they even listened to his conversion. But when he said, he called me and told me to go take this message to the Gentiles, when they heard that, they erupted again. And so there's this enmity. Jews couldn't eat with Gentiles. They couldn't worship with Gentiles. It's very hard to live together. But when Christ came, he abolished that ceremonial law. He fulfilled all those things, and that has been set aside. And notice, he says, he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Now, read that phrase, the two into one new man, and watch for it throughout the four verses even, because the word both and two you'll find four times, and the word one you'll find four times. God took these warring elements and brought them together, because in Christ there's neither Jew or Gentile. When you come to Christ, you come. In fact, interestingly enough, the book of Romans argues that Jews, when they come to Christ now, have to come as Gentiles. And that Abraham was justified even before he was circumcised. So that, you know, he really, he really almost turned the tables on them in the proclamation of the gospel as far as the access to God is through Christ and Christ alone and Jew or Gentile like there's no distinction whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved so he said you know the cross not only brought us near personally but it brings the warring factions together so to speak Jew and Gentile are one new man in Christ and so wherever Christianity has gone you know, ethnic groups and, and racial distinctions and all those old enmities have gone away when the message of the gospel is really proclaimed. Not perfectly, don't misunderstand me, but you'll see people that would have never worshipped together, couldn't have any kind of fellowship together, finding common ground in Jesus Christ and loving one another because our access to God is through Christ. And so our access and reconciliation and peace with one another is a byproduct of that, you might say. And so he emphasizes that in verse 14 and 15. Let me just say, now personally, we have as believers what everybody wants. We have peace. You know, some of Jesus' last words when he was here, he said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. These things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. So we have peace with God. Turn over to Acts 10 for just a moment. Acts 10. Peter preached peace. 
And particularly, I, I read it because I want us to see that even as he was specifically making the breakthrough in his mind from Jews to Gentile, and God, he had to take a vision to get Peter to do that. But as he did, when he proclaimed it, he realized uh, when he got to the Gentiles, this, is, this was a blockbuster event for Peter. Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, is for everybody, he's realizing. And so he proclaims it to the Gentiles. And there was many who found that same peace that Peter had found in Christ. We've got personal peace. Jew or Gentile alike, we have peace with God. We've got that personal peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And in fact, you'll find the ramifications then of the vertical working horizontally almost immediately. That's why wherever the gospel really goes and really touches lives, why healing starts to happen horizontally. Where there was enmity in marriages, there becomes peace. Where there was brokenness and dysfunction in families, peace begins to reign. Even in whole groups, you'll have blacks and whites getting along. You'll have Jew and Gentile getting along. In Africa, you'll have tribes mixing and worshiping with those who used to be enemies. And it leads naturally to the second word that's emphasized. Look back at our text, and that is reconciliation. He might reconcile them, verse 16, both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. You see, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy, Romans 14 says. And note the order there. God's kingdom is not eating and drinking. It's not the external observances, but it's righteousness and peace and joy. And by the way, that's how peace happens. Righteousness then peace. I have peace with God because I've been declared righteous through faith in Christ. The fruit of righteousness, Isaiah says, in the end, when there will be righteousness on earth, when Christ reigns in righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, Isaiah 32 says, and many other passages like it, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. There will not be peace on earth until righteousness rules. And peace brings reconciliation. And he says he reconciled this to remove the enmity, to make those who were enemies friends. And it begins, again, vertically. I was at enmity with God. God sent his son to reconcile me to himself. And so sinners are reconciled to God through the cross and then... Jew and Gentiles, and that's the one he's emphasizing here, are reconciled to one another. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5 and take a look at one of the great statements of this reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the vertical, which is the foundation for the horizontal. But I notice in Ephesians, 
after he emphasizes the two groups becoming one, when he begins to talk about reconciliation and access, his heart and his emphasis kind of goes back to vertical because that's the foundation for the horizontal piece, that vertical. And so he says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, he says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Well, he goes on, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is a great fruit of the cross. And to know that God is for us. To know that the enmity has been removed. Jesus even said, you remember on the night of the cross, he turned to the men and he said, you know, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends. And when I'm reading in the Bible and I read that Abraham was called the friend of God, it always is, is a little bit of a shock, isn't it? To think of a man with flaws. I mean, the Bible records his flaws, his sin. And yet he's called the friend of God. And Jesus said that he calls us his friends. We who were his enemies have been reconciled so that we have friendship with God. And having been reconciled then, the great characteristic of our life should be similar. He said, you know how they'll know you know me? By your love for one another. I give a new commandment to you. Love one another. We should be known as peacemakers. Where the gospel penetrates lives, there should be harmony and reconciliation and peace because he is the great reconciler. And that unity and peace is again buttressed and enforced or reinforced or emphasized by the final word that I would draw your attention to, verse 18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You know, the great leveler in the body of Christ is that every Christian comes to God the same way through the one mediator, and we have access to God. Whether we're from a Jewish background, a Gentile background, a religious background, an irreligious background, no matter who we are, when you come to Jesus Christ, that's the only way, that's God's roadmap, if you will, to peace, is Christ and His cross. And you must come through Him, and you come power of his Holy Spirit and he says we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled God's Roadmap to Peace a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience.
If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. He said, I am the light of the world, not a source of light. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. That's what Jesus said. But Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify God, your Father who's in heaven. You see, Christ is the light, but he actually uses that language of us because we're to reflect him. And when we speak of the foundation of Jesus Christ, we're speaking of the Jesus Christ of the Bible, not the Jesus Christ of somebody's imagination or somebody's overheated zeal, but the Jesus Christ of history revealed through the inspired apostles and prophets. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Jesus Christ, the Cornerstone. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.